0: Bible Study Podcast. I'm Travis Pauley, and here we have one goal. Learn to love like Jesus. Back again, as always, with Wes McAdams. Hi, Wes. Hey,
1: brother. How are you? I'm
0: doing great. How are you? I'm doing very well. We have the unique treat of a voicemail today. Yes. Left by a listener. Yeah. So we're going to listen to that now. let's play it. Hi, I have a
1: question about a, a specific piece of scripture that I thought could be talked about on the Bible Study Podcast. Um, in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning in about verse 3, and I'm reading from the ESV, it says, For though absent in body, I am present in spirit, and as if present, I have already pronounced judgment on the one who did such a thing. When you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus, and my spirit is present with the power of our Lord Jesus, you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. My question is, what does it mean to deliver someone to Satan? For the destruction of the flesh and how should we apply the scripture to our lives
0: today thank you okay all right
1: interesting question right
0: super easy passage yeah absolutely
1: yeah <laughs> in fact every commentary that i read said something along the lines of this is one of the most difficult difficult passages in scripture uh and i would agree with that it is yeah. very difficult and and sort of the more you look at it and the more you uh sort of co- cross-reference the new testament passages with some of the old testament passages uh to which paul is alluding it becomes even more difficult but uh yeah so let's just kind of um, do. do you hear i i like to throw it back to you travis do you have you heard this passage used much or what what is your familiarity with it
0: i would say i definitely had read it before sure. first corinthians it's in the context of this you know troubled church with a lot of horrible things going on and this is You know, one of the things we always talk about with the Corinthian letters is how Paul, the first one, he kind of lays it down hard and heavy. And then the second, it's sort of like, I'm sorry I had to do that. but, um, And this is definitely one of those moments that always came across as... uh, it's sort of the other side of the gospel we don't always think about yeah is how i think about yeah. it. yeah that's a great way to put um, it but other than that i don't i feel like it's definitely not something we talk about yeah
1: very much yeah yeah corinthian the corinthian church i like to say it's not your grandmother's church like yeah. it it is i always say it's like a biker bar church like i mean this yeah. is this is a rough group of people especially when compared to sort of or 21st century Western Christians now uh, having been shaped by the gospel for for generations Mm -hmm. thinking about this first generation of Christians that are coming out of paganism coming out of all of the things that they were involved in before but in fact it's ironic that what Paul says this is happening in the Corinthian church would have even made the pagans blush. It was something that, right. that would have even ashamed them. So let's sort of read the context and then we'll, we'll talk more about what it means. Uh, in fact, you want to read uh, starting in chapter five. Let's just read the whole, let's read the whole chapter, I think.
0: Okay. First Corinthians chapter five. I can hardly believe the report about the sexual immorality going on among you. Something that even pagans don't do. I'm told that a man in your church is living in sin with his stepmother. You're so proud of yourselves, but you should be mourning in sorrow and shame, and you should remove this man from your fellowship. Even though I'm not with you in person, I'm with you in spirit. And as though I were there, I've already passed judgment on this man in the name of the Lord Jesus. You must call a meeting of the church. I will be present with you in spirit, and so will the power of our Lord Jesus. Then you must throw this man out, and hand him over to Satan, so that his sinful nature will be destroyed, and he himself will be saved on the day the Lord returns.
1: Okay, whoa, whoa, whoa! Let's stop. Yep. Let's let's stop the train. Uh, because you're reading from New Living Translation. Yes. Okay, I can switch it up if I need to. But, no, 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 no. Yeah. I I think it's good. I I yeah. always enjoy reading from various translations, and and this is this is the Bible study podcast. So this is what it's all about is about, uh, it's helpful sometimes to, to yeah. read from different translations and to understand the philosophy behind those translations. So I, I really like the new living translation, but it does tend to be more of a paraphrase. Right. And so they're taking more interpretive license with the text. Right. And, and in this case, they took the word, uh, that, that is literally translated as flesh, mm-hmm. which can mean like skin, like, like your body, body, your your right. actual flesh, but it could also be used metaphorically. And and there they've taken it as a metaphor and they said, read that one more time.
0: In verse five. Right. Then you must throw this man out and hand him over to Satan, so that his sinful nature will be destroyed.
1: Okay, so that his sinful nature will be destroyed. Now, again, that that is a very uh, sort of Calvinistic Reformed right. uh, way of of reading the the word or the idea of flesh. That it is a metaphor for a person's sinful nature. It could be that could be Uh,
0: we won't discount that but that's probably a more comfortable way to look at this passage
1: right that's that's true that's absolutely true and we'll come back and and i'll i'll say why i don't think that's what he means there but um but i think it's really important to recognize the word that that lies behind it that it's flesh so flesh can mean a lot of different things again it can mean skin like the meat on the meat on your bones very literally it can mean something along the lines of the the nature that we have that has a propensity towards sin right. it can mean something like that i like to use the the idea of weakness hmm. that it is about our weakness both mortally and morally that that we we are mortally weak in that we die. We are flesh and bones. We, we're we flesh and blood. We uh, we get sick. We get diseases. We die. So there's the mortality of it, but there's also the morality of it, which is what the sinful nature speaks to, that we are morally weak, and we make mistakes, and we, we have a propensity towards sin. Uh, so I think that that it's important for us to recognize that there is a metaphorical interpretation that is accurate, uh, concerning the word flesh that it is about our our weakness or our lack of strength um, and and so that that may mean that may be what Paul is talking about is is flesh as a metaphor but we'll 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 let the the listener decide as we as we go but um, just recognize that there is a difference in translation there okay sorry Verse six
0: Verse six you're boasting about this is terrible don't you realize that this sin is like a little yeast that spreads throughout the whole batch of dough? Get rid of the old yeast by removing this wicked person from among you. Then you will be like a fresh, fresh batch of dough made without yeast, which is what you really are. Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed for us. So let us celebrate the festival not with the old bread of wickedness and evil, but with the new bread of sincerity and truth. When I wrote to you before, I told you not to associate with people who indulge in sexual sin. But I wasn't talking about unbelievers who indulge in sexual sin, or are greedy, or cheat people, or worship idols. You would have to leave this world to avoid people like that. I meant that you are not to associate with anyone who claims to be a believer, yet indulges in sexual sin, or is greedy, or worships idols, or is abusive, or is a drunkard, or cheats people. Don't even eat with such people. It isn't my responsibility to judge outsiders, but it certainly is your responsibility to judge those inside the church who are sinning. God will judge those on the outside, but as the scriptures say, you must remove the evil person from among you.
1: Okay. So, I want to walk through this whole passage. First, remind everybody what the context is, what's going on, why is Paul saying what he's saying. Mm-hmm. Number 2, Uh, to talk about what does he tell them to do like what are they supposed to do what's the application of this for them uh then number three what does that mean to deliver the person over to satan and then four what does it mean the destruction of the flesh uh, or the destruction of the sinful nature as your translation, put it. Uh, so first of all, the context is that this person, I think your translation said in the first couple of verses that he's living with his stepmother, right?
0: Living in sin with his stepmother, living
1: in sin with his stepmother. So that could be, that could be that they're living together, but one way or the other, he's engaging in sexual immorality with his father's wife. Right. Probably not his mom probably his stepmother um, now whether that's because his he's his father is a is a widower or, or his father died and and now his his stepmother's left and now he's shacked up with her or whatever it is we, we really don't know the right. the details of it but we know that this is incestuous. It is incestuous for him to be having a sexual relationship with his father's wife. And so Paul says even the pagans would not tolerate this. So not only is this not in accordance with biblical, according to the scriptures, uh, sexual ethics, the sexual ethics laid out in, in the book of Leviticus or in the, in the old law, and that the Christians are continuing to practice and to observe, not only is are you not meeting that standard? You're not even meeting a worldly standard. And so you ought to be ashamed of yourselves. Not only should this person himself be ashamed, but the whole church should be ashamed. Now, ironically, they're not ashamed. Not only is, is he apparently not ashamed, but they're not ashamed as a church family. They, he even uses the word boast, like you're boasting about it, like you're proud of it. Like maybe some people think, that they're proud that they're so tolerant that they're they're proud that that they're so accepting they're they're proud that they're so loving or whatever the case may be and paul is appalled about the the way that they are responding to this so there's the context that's what's going on is sexual immorality and paul broadens this out and and applies what he's about to say to all matters of sexual immorality this isn't just incest there's, it's all matters of sexual immorality, right. but then even broader than that, things like greed, covetousness, and he applies it to all matters of perpetual sin, that a person is persisting in sinfulness, that this applies to all of those things. He says, uh, this is in verse um, 11, If somebody bears the name of brother and he's guilty of sexual sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater or a reviler or a drunkard or a swindler, don't even eat with such a one. So this has application to a lot of different sins. But what he tells him to do, what he tells the church to do concerning this man, is sort of repeated with different phrases throughout the 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 context or throughout this chapter. Uh, In verse 2, it puts it this way. It says, remove the man from among you. So um, uh, remove. So there's a very plain uh, stating of what they're supposed to do. Remove the man from among them. Uh, Verse 7, it's sort of a metaphor using uh, yeast or leaven. Mm -hmm. They're supposed to cleanse out the old leaven for the sake of the whole lump. Uh, Verse 11, don't even associate with people like this. Verse 13, purge the evil person from among you. Now, this is actually where it gets really interesting because that phrase he's quoting from the Old Testament. And this is found in Deuteronomy thirteen five, Deuteronomy seventeen seven, 7, uh, verse 12, uh, Deuteronomy 21, 21, Deuteronomy twenty two twenty one, 21, Deuteronomy 22, 22, and 24. And then in Judges 20 and verse 13, I'll put all those in the show notes. And every time... This phrase is used in those passage. It doesn't just mean kick them out of the community. It means execute them. I'm just going to leave that there for a second. Yeah. And, and so Paul is quoting from and reminding them of the law that the people of Israel, the family of God, when someone persisted in a, a sinful behavior there were times when they were supposed to execute them for the sake of the entire, the entire family, the entire congregation, they were supposed to put this person to death. And the phrase that was used was purge the evil person from among you. And so he uses that phrase in telling them just how serious this is. Now, I don't, I don't think that that's what Paul is telling them to do. I don't think he's telling them to execute this person literally, but I do think that's exactly how we should understand it, that this is essentially an execution, that they are supposed to so put him out of their congregation, put him out of their fellowship, that essentially they are assigning him to death, just like in Israel or in as the people of Israel came out of, of Egyptian captivity and they moved towards the promised land. And as they moved into the promised land and, and took up residence there, when people acted in ways that were not conducive to this sort of godly communal living, that person was not just put out of the the community, but was, or was supposed to be put to death. Um, and And that's essentially what what happens to someone who is put outside the church we'll We'll get more into that in just a second, but let me just just stop there and say what do you think so far?
0: well, I think yeah, that particular phrase that we went over briefly about hand him over to Satan mm-hmm. so that either his sinful nature or his and to give the n l t credit that mm-hmm. it does have a note that says you know the Greek reads for the destruction of the flesh or so that his body will be destroyed mm-hmm. um so that idea um that's definitely the 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 problem phrase that's like okay what does that mean hand him over to satan so that his body will be destroyed but that he himself or his spirit will be saved on the day the lord returns yeah that's definitely i think the part that yes yeah i was thinking about before we started right yeah
1: so i think i think to to kind of answer that question the the whole the whole chapter is about excommunicating this person, kicking them out of the church. And that in doing so, you are, I hesitate to use the phrase spiritual because so many people take spiritual and contrast that with physical. But spiritually, as in this is a spiritual execution. This is putting them outside of the church where there is no life. Mm -hmm. And when we say there is no life, we don't just mean like in a like ethereal sense. We mean there is no resurrection, that they are going to die because outside of the church, they are separated from God. They are separated from life. They are separated from the Holy Spirit. There is death and there is destruction outside of the church. And I think we have to see it in such stark contrast. We have to recognize that the church The church is the new creation of God, that the people that have been saved by Jesus are these spirit-filled people making up this spirit-filled community, at least this is the way it's supposed to be, that Mm -hmm. you have this spirit-filled community in which there is life, and on the outside of that community is chaos and death and destruction, and it is the realm of Satan. Satan rules the world. Satan is the ruler of the world. He is the prince of of the powers of the air. Satan rules the world. And when you put somebody out of the new world, the new creation, the new humanity, and you say you are not walking in a way that is in, in line with the new creation, and so you have to go back into the world that when you are assigning them back to the world, you are assigning them to the, the dominion of Satan where Satan rules and there is death and there is destruction. This is the place from which we've all escaped. If we've come into Christ, if Jesus has saved us, we've escaped from the world, we've come out from the domain and the dominion and the rule and the reign of Satan into the rule and the reign of Jesus, where Jesus is protecting us and loving us and through the spirit giving us life But if we behave in this kind of a way, and the church has to put us out of the community, then they are—essentially, if you think about like the wilderness wandering, and you think about the the caravan of tents, and you think about this community of of tents, and, and then somebody gets kicked out, even if they weren't stoned to death, is what they were literally commanded to do oftentimes, but even if they weren't stoned to death, and they were kicked out of the tent city, or even after they took up residence in Canaan, and they were kicked out of town, out into the wilderness, out into the place where there is death and destruction. There are robbers, and there are thieves, and there are wild animals, and there are all kinds of matters of of death. This is what Paul is telling them to do in a spiritual sense. But again, when we say in a spiritual sense, we're not just saying in an ethereal sense. We're saying Very much so that the people of Jesus are the ones who will be resurrected to live forever and to be kicked out of that community is to be sent back into the place where there is death and destruction and darkness. And that's what he's telling them to do. He's saying, send them, send him back. To the place from which he came. Mm-hmm. Send him back to the the rule and the reign of Satan because he's not living as one who is under the rule and the reign of King Jesus.
0: Yeah, and, and on the two two thoughts I had. One, I've been aware of modern churches that have that have done this, mm-hmm. that, you know, someone's found to be living in a way that requires them to be barred from fellowship and, yeah. and they take that quite seriously. And I think I remember One of the first times I heard about that happening, I thought, well, that's like, this was a person who's clearly struggling
1: Mm. and
0: floundering in their faith. Mm -hmm. I thought, again, not even, not considering this verse, this passage, but I thought, man, Just looking at it on the surface. Right. It's like, that's so brutal Mm. because aren't you just abandoning that person to sin? Mm -hmm. And you read this passage and it's like, yes, yes, (laughs) pretty much. Yeah. That's the point. Yeah. And, but then I also look at it, I I had this thought as I was reading the passage, uh, before we came on and that was on like a personal level. I know I've reflected on times in my life when I was hanging around people I shouldn't have been that weren't good for me. Mm -hmm. And I certainly wasn't being any good for them. Mm -hmm. Um, and I thought about, I've, I've thought in, in years since then, why, like, why did I do that? Why did, why was I content? Like I knew on Mm -hmm. some level I knew, Mm -hmm. I knew that I wasn't. I had no business being around these people. But I realized with years of introspection that when you feel bad about yourself, when you're not convinced in your own salvation and Mm -hmm. your own path of righteousness, it actually feels pretty good to have people to compare yourself to Mm. and to say, so you you mentioned that maybe this was an issue of, being proud because it says they're being proud Mm -hmm. of it Mm -hmm. they're being proud of their own tolerance Mm -hmm. and their own compassion Mm -hmm. you know and i think that's in sort of a perverse way that's what you think you're doing when you uh when you associate with people that you know you shouldn't be Mm -hmm. uh, especially wearing the name of jesus Mm -hmm. that there's sort of a a perverse pride and well this is Mm compassion. jesus ate with sinners Mm -hmm. you know um but that was not that was not in the context of the church. Mm-hmm. That was not in the context of the new creation that yeah. you're supposed to be.
1: Yeah, it's hard to know exactly what their what their motivation is right. behind it. It could it could be that, and I've heard people make those kinds of references. Another another thing to consider is in chapter six, they really had a very perverse way of thinking about sexuality. I apologize to listeners if if you have kids, we're getting into an area where it might be a little more. Um, adult focus but um, but in, in in chapter six he talks about sexual immorality and some of their excuses seem to be things like well food is for the stomach. Stomach is for food. You know, if if I have this appetite, then why shouldn't I satisfy it? Who cares? It sounds familiar. Right, exactly. And so they had this nihilistic view of the body that said, the body's going to be destroyed anyway. What difference does it make? Mm-hmm. And Paul says, no, the body isn't for destruction. The body is for the Lord and the Lord is for the body. The Lord is for the body. He wants to redeem your body and to use it for good. And, and your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. And so he he has to change their view about the body because their view on the body is leading to very real world type of implications. So it's hard to know exactly why, why were they putting up with this? But it's, it's also interesting to take into account that Paul helps them to realize that it is all of their responsibility to discipline each other. And, and this really flies in the face of, of modern Christianity, yeah. of, of modern living that just says, well, I, I love the phrase, I, when I say love, I'm being sarcastic, but I, the, the phrase, you do you, right? You, yep. you do you. You just do whatever. My, my son likes to joke with me when I look at somebody and kind of shake my head, Can, I can't believe what that guy's doing. I can't believe this guy. Can you believe how he's living his life or whatever? And my son will jokingly say, uh, Dad, He's just living his best life. He's just living his best <laughs> life. And that's just his way of saying, don't judge him. Just just let him do what he wants to do. And that's, that's a very modern way of thinking right. that, that we just let each other do whatever feels right to that person. But that's chaos. And and Paul says, he says, I, I don't have anything to do with judging the people in the world. I have nothing to do with disciplining them. That's not my job. My job is not to go around and police the world's sexual ethics. Paul says, I have nothing to do with that. God is going to judge them, but it is our responsibility to discipline those within the body. So if anyone calls themselves a believer, if anyone calls themselves a brother or sister in Christ, and they're living this kind of life, not just sexual immorality, it's really easy for us to get myopic and think about one thing, but greedy or idolaters or a reviler speaking abusively about people, then we should we should discipline people. And, and in fact, I've been thinking a lot about the words honor and shame. In fact, I'm writing a blog series right now on honor and shame. And there, there's sort of two different ways of using the word shame. One of those is a sort of a modern way of thinking about shame. And it's more an individualistic idea that says there's something wrong with me. So the sort of the modern psychological way of thinking about shame is, is that it's a toxic way of thinking about yourself to say, mm-hmm. not, not just that I've done something wrong, but I am something wrong. There's something yeah. wrong with me. And, and there's, there's a lot of good thought that goes into helping people to break free of those shameful thoughts. But in this context, in this culture, shame was used and it continues to be used. We use it in families, we do this. We say, you ought to be ashamed of yourself. Right. And and there is a healthy place for that, mm-hmm. for in a community, for the people in a community saying, this is our standard of living. This is how we live in this community. These are the kinds of things that we do, and these are the kinds of things that we don't do. And we use a healthy amount of spiritual shame. And again, I know that's a bad word today, but we, we tell people, If you want to continue to be part of this community, then this is how you have to live your life. And if you choose not to live your life this way, that's your choice. I I can't force you to be a follower of Jesus. I can't force you to, to walk in the way of Jesus, but you cannot continue to be here and live like that. And that's something that very few churches, very few Christians are willing to say to one another anymore, because again... We, we rightly see in scripture this need to be long-suffering with each other patient with each other gracious with one another and so there is a place for that and and when it comes to this point that's a whole other that's not what Paul is getting into in this particular text but right. you're right we do have to consider that and say well is this is this a new Christian are they they just don't know any better right. are, are they struggling are they discouraged if somebody's discouraged the the way you help somebody out of discouragement is not shaming them. <laughs> that does not help somebody that's discouraged. If somebody's like, I'm at I'm at my wit's end, I, I don't know what to do. I I just I might as well just give in and, and follow my my desires, that person probably doesn't need to be shamed. It's the person that is boldly bold-facedly saying, I'm going to do whatever I want to, and, and you have nothing you can say to me. You can't judge me. I, I can do whatever I want. I, I'm my own person. You can't tell me what's right and wrong. That person needs to be told by the entire community, you can't live this way and be a member in good standing in this community. And, and again, Paul puts it very strongly in that you are sending them back to the rule and the reign of satan where they are going to die not 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 you're going to execute them not they're going to starve to death or something like that but they are not going to be resurrected to life and we when we interpret this eschatologically when we interpret this in light of the resurrection we understand that it's those in the community of jesus that are resurrected to life and by sending someone out you are saying you're no longer a recipient, you're no longer an heir, you're being disinherited and yes, that is that is the most extreme form of punishment and so that is something that it should be a last resort. my life I've only been a part of one time where that's happened arguably should have been more but but I've been a part of of that happening one time it's it's a It's a matter of last resort, but sometimes it does exactly what the intention was here and it restores the person and saves them in the long run. I just want to take a short break from our Bible study to tell you that if you are enjoying this discussion, you might also enjoy my book, Beyond the Verse. You can find the audio version of the book at radicallychristian.com audible. That's radicallychristian.com audible. And if you're not already an Audible subscriber, you can actually get my book for free when you sign up for a free trial. So go to radicallychristian.com slash audible. Now back to the Bible study. As we were kind of talking about some of that, a I, I passage came to my mind that I think again, I, I think you're right in that we have to have a balance to this. and, and if we just focused on this one passage sure. to the exclusion of the rest of the New Testament, we might think, oh, you mess up and you're out. Um, I, love, I love what Paul says in First Thessalonians uh, chapter 5 verse 14. It says, "We urge you, brothers, admonish the idol, that means warn the idol, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. Hmm. I really like that. Encourage the faint hearted uh, or rather admonish the idol, encourage the faint hearted, help the weak and be patient with them all. I think that that's a recognition that different people are in different places right. in their spiritual walk. And, and different people might even be sinning for different reasons. Mm-hmm. Some people might be sinning because they don't know any better. They're, they're ignorant. They just need to be taught. Uh, other people might be sinning because they are, they are rebellious and they need to be admonished or they need to even be disciplined. Um, but if we just assume that everybody is rebellious, we will over-discipline. But if we just assume that everybody just needs a little more time or everybody just needs a little bit more understanding or everybody just then will make the mistake of never disciplining people. And and I think we have to focus here on what Paul says about the purpose of it because he says, deliver this man over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. This is where we, we need to kind of talk about as we, yeah. sort of wrap this up this destruction of the flesh idea and and really there's there's two things there there's the destruction of the flesh for the salvation of the spirit that his spirit may be saved in the day of the lord so there's flesh and there's spirit so again the the new living translation says flesh well that's sinful nature and right. you need to discipline him so that his nature so that his his sinful inclinations, his passions become disciplined. That That's definitely possible. But again, looking at what he's saying in the context of the whole Bible, like the passages from Deuteronomy about purge the evil one from among you, that that you are assigning this person, you are surrendering this person to Satan. And I think recognizing that Satan has dominion over the world and disease and death and destruction that this is turning this man over to Satan for whatever Satan wants to do to him and why not not because we have control over Satan not because we can say okay Satan here's the checklist here's what we need you to do to this guy you know torture him in this way that's not what he's saying he's saying that if you walk in this kind of rebellious manner then you are going to be turned over. Rather, the, the protection of Jesus is going to be removed from you. Right. It's like if my boys sometimes say, I, I've, I've really har- harped on my boys today, I guess, but uh, they're, they're not as serious as you might think that they are, but they're like all kids. And th- there's times where they say, I'm going to run away. I'm going to run away. I don't want you to be my dad anymore. I don't want to live here anymore. I'm, I'm, I'm out of here. My oldest is 13, so he's not serious. But sometimes I'll call his bluff on that, right? When he says, right. I don't want to live here anymore. I'm I'm done. It's like, okay, we'll see how that works for you. Right. Like, go live out there and see what happens. Now, he's 13. I'm not actually going to let him do that. I'm, I'm bluffing in calling his bluff because I'm not going to let him live out on his own. But if he was 19 or if he was 20 and he said, I don't want to live here anymore. I'm done. I, I don't want to live under your rules anymore. Then the only option I have is to remove my protection from him. And when I remove my protection from him, then he is surrendered to the elements. If you are kicked out from underneath your roof, literally, then you are surrendered to the storms. You are surrendered to whatever may come. And if we believe that in the church, if we believe that in Jesus and being filled with the spirit provides us with protection, Yes, in this life, and, and and maybe even more so, maybe in the first century, miraculously so, even more than today, but also the protection of brothers and sisters, the protection of community, the support system that we have in that if I go bankrupt or broke, I have brothers and sisters that can help me. But especially eschatologically, Jesus is going to raise me to life. I cannot die i cannot die my flesh will be redeemed my body will be redeemed i will be resurrected but if i'm kicked out of the love and the protection of jesus if i'm kicked out of the household of god then my flesh my body is surrendered to satan for its destruction that is what is going to eventually happen to it (laughs) now hopefully and i think this is the point here is that hopefully being surrendered to satan and the destruction of his flesh will bring about his salvation before the flesh is completely destroyed before he dies hopefully he's going to repent i think that's paul's whole point is that we're going to surrender him for the destruction of his flesh so that his flesh isn't destroyed, so that his spirit is saved, so that he he comes back to the Lord, and so that he experiences the love and protection and life that is in Jesus.
0: Well, and so much of what you're saying keeps calling to mind the biblical theme of sacrifice, that, you know, whether it's with Jesus or whether it's with the scapegoat, whether it's with the bulls and goats that they sacrificed, you know, for, for thousands of years, the mm-hmm. children of Israel, the the metaphor, the symbolic representation, the, uh, the necessary act of death leading back to life. Mm. And uh, when you're talking about releasing someone into the elements, into mm. the dominion of Satan and away from the protection and the light of the church and the communion of the spirit in mm. the church, that you are offering them up to their destruction. Um, and, You know, I think about Christ on the cross, and how I mean, literally, the world goes dark mm-hmm. when he's forsaken, when he's right. uh, when he's sacrificed on the cross. But that was to lead to life. That was and and I think you know that metaphor, that idea of sacrifice and rebirth and resurrection, uh, it carries and so it carries literally, mm. it carries psychologically. It, it 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 holds up that if. I mean sometimes to appreciate what you have you have to let it go yeah. you, have to, you have to lose it. Yeah. have to completely lose it and and I think that I think that the question that keeps coming to my mind is how do you how do you propose that we do this in a modern context like you mm. talked about mm-hmm. only had to be a part of one mm-hmm. um, but that arguably it, it should be a lot more mm-hmm. how do you think we go about doing that in the modern context where the modern christianity is much more focused on sort of compassion and in the form of simply tolerance Mm. and not compassion in the form of i want you to be i want you to be restored Mm -hmm. but in order for that to happen you have to be rejected
1: yeah see i think i think we're so far from this because in order for disfellowship to be effective fellowship has to be effective and and we are so far away from that i i don't even I honestly, I don't even know how to get back to that. I mean, obviously, a, a local congregation can say, "Hey, we're withdrawing, we're withdrawing fellowship from you. We're excommunicating you," and and that can be somewhat effective. But the fact that there's a church on every corner. Mm-hmm that it loses its effectiveness. With, if if you withdraw from me because I'm living in sin, I'll just go find a church that accepts this whatever this is right. and where people are churches are competing for members and people are coming over there and people are just trying to swell their numbers. All of these things are are so contrary to and antithetical to this kind of community. This is this is like family where it it breaks your heart to have to say you are destroying us from the inside out. You're destroying us and you cannot be here anymore. You cannot be here. We are surrendering you over to the world. There was no other church for him to go to. Like it was either the Corinthian church or nothing. Like there was no alternative. And so that's really the only way that this is effective in the same sort of way. We have to do the best we can. And so Mm -hmm. yes, there are times where we have to warn people encourage people, teach people, but we also are going to have to work on creating fellowship environments that are so tight. Again, to go back to my my kids and, and that metaphor, mm-hmm. they don't really want to live outside of the house. <laughs> they don't really want to be out from under our protection and our roof and our family because... This is where there is life and hope and connection. This is where they eat every meal. This is where everything happens. That's the way the church should be. The church should be exactly like that, where this is our family. And sometimes sometimes it is that, but for so many people, church is just something they do on Sunday. And if church is just something you do on Sunday, then this kind of thing, if it happens, it's just going to be way different. It's just going to be, hey, you're not officially a member here anymore. Like, okay, I mean, that's better than nothing, I suppose. But it only can be effective the way that Jesus wants it to be effective so that that shame, again, in a a good way, has its proper effect. Like you said, it's the actual removal of something. When I ground my sons from (laughs) something— from the video game or from their phone or whatever, when I ground them from something and I take that away from them, it hurts because they lost something that they enjoyed. They lost something that was important to them. If the church isn't really important to us, then its removal won't even be felt. Paul wants this man to feel the removal of that community, the removal of that unity, the removal of that family. And so I think Part of it is building that, building that type of an environment where we are so, so closely connected to each other and that we are, we are understanding of the fact that we need to be involved in each other's lives and decisions. (laughs) Again, this you do you, you live your best life, you make your decisions, you know, whatever you feel is right for you that kind of thing within reason, I guess that, that, that can work. But when we're talking about these kinds of sexual immorality or greed or idolatry or the way we talk to each other, whatever it is like that, we can't be so hands off with each other and so distant and disconnected from each other. We have to be connected because again, mm-hmm. that type of connection, not just, I belong to a church, therefore I have life. I belong to a church, therefore I have the protection of Jesus. I belong to a church, therefore I'll experience the resurrection. So much more than that. It's in the community of spirit-filled followers of Jesus, there is life and there is love, both in the present and in the age to come. And we have to get back to restoring that. We'd love to talk about restoring New Testament Christianity. This isn't just something we do a few hours a week. This is life. And we have to get back to the point where we are living life with our brothers and sisters so that when we get out of line, when I get out of line, you can tell me, Wes, this behavior is not in keeping with the spirit of Jesus this is not in keeping with the gospel you need to change and if I refuse then the the withdrawal from me withdrawing from me the entire community saying you're outside of our fellowship now it hurts so bad that I I change I repent I come back to Jesus in order to be part of of the family we've got to we've got to work on restoring the the family, and the community before the discipline will be affected. Thank you so much for being part of the Radically Christian Bible Study podcast today. We hope that you've enjoyed this episode. I want to give a special thanks to Travis Polly and to our McDermott Road Church family for making this podcast possible. As always, we love you, God loves you, and we hope that you have a wonderful day.